0: Hi, my name is Lynn McTaggart. Welcome to my podcast, Living the New Science. In these podcasts, I'm covering some extraordinary discoveries by frontier scientists and why this changes everything we think about how our world works and also how we should live our lives. Today, I want to share with you an amazing conversation I had with the incredible Greg Braden. He's the author of many New York Times bestselling books. He is the recipient of a Templeton Award nominee, and he's just an all-around brilliant guy. Thanks so much, Greg, for being on this free event with me. So today we're meeting virtually, and I'm here from rainy London, um, and we're gonna talk about Superhuman by Design. Um, and really the idea that we are far more than we've been told, and this has huge implications for longevity and particularly for healing. So, Greg, let's start off with you found an amazing discovery in a science journal about uh, our, our, uh, our ability to essentially grow neurons for yeah. the rest of our lives. Do you wanna talk about that?
1: Sure, Len, you know, the, I mean, the bottom line to everything that we're gonna do here, we are so much more than we've been led to believe. and We've got a, a very educated audience. Uh, I know that, and I, I know they sense that intuitively. But what's happening here is the science. Uh, for the first time in 150 years, science is giving us uh, a new way to think about ourselves. It is the new human story. Uh, and it is, a, it is a beautiful story. It's a powerful story of hope impossibility that tells us that we are not the victims of our external environment, the way we have been led to believe, or our internal environment. We're not the victims of the the genetic expression we've been given at birth, or the neuronic expression that we've been given at birth, unless we choose to be. If we live our lives and do nothing uh, intentionally to to enhance our, our biology, we may certainly be victim to all of those parameters but but as we live our lives consciously and and intentionally embrace the parameters that help us to become the best people we can be and create the best world possible um in turn what we find is that we are are transcending the boundaries we're transcending the limits of our potential that we've been led to embrace in the past and the discovery that you're mentioning is one of those when, when i was in school back in the in the 1950s it's crazy 1950s 60s and 70s i remember very clearly i was taught uh that the number one the brain is the master organ in the human body and that the neurons in our brain uh are are fixed in number in other words you get what you get when you come into this world from birth and throughout our lives that we are constantly losing those neurons through choices of lifestyle i remember i was in college you know the big joke was if you're if you're drinking too much, you know, you're, you're killing those neurons and you've only got so many to deal with. So I, there were t-shirts that said, save the neurons. <laughs> <laughs> so so here's, here's a new discovery. And you know, this is so late in the game. Lynn, here we are 2020 and, and we're led to believe that we pretty much understand all there is to understand about the brain, about the heart, about human biology To So to make these kinds of discoveries so late in the game, is uh, is kind of a mind blower. So the discovery that uh, that you're asking about, uh, it was in um, uh, it was published in a very prestigious uh, peer-reviewed journal, Nature, uh, and the uh, the journal Science in uh, 2019, that our neurons are not fixed in number. They discovered that we constantly produce a continuous supply of new neurons throughout our lives from the time that we're in the womb even before we're born until the time we take our last breath and they're coming from the hypothalamus in the brain Uh, and they are constantly regenerating and repairing and replacing neurons that are that are damaged and this is a very very this is like a game changer it's a very very different way of of thinking Uh, and probably no surprise to our viewers the the lifestyle Changes uh, that we can embrace that actually stimulate the growth of these new new neurons. They're exactly what you would expect I think pretty much Uh, Diet is a big part of this Um, The the closer we can get our food to its its natural source without processing uh, The healthier and the food is and and the more of the the life-giving Nutritional component we receive from that Uh, So so that is certainly important exercise and you know, exercise means something different now than what it meant uh, 10 years ago or 20 years ago. For what the new studies are showing, for people over 40, long, sustained, continuous cardio exercise is not the healthiest thing uh, to do. And they're now looking at short bursts that are called intervals uh, at high intensity. So it's H-I-I-T, high-intensity interval training, where you go all out with some form of exercise it could be running, stairs, bicycling, whatever it is. Uh, you know, for uh, for a period of time, so 30 seconds, and then you rest for 15 to 20 seconds, and you do this again in sets. These kinds of exercises are now shown to stimulate the growth of neurons in the brain, and the third is new ways of thinking. So this is interesting to me because we tend to we we are creatures of habit. And we tend to create patterns uh, and habits in our lives that we do repetitively uh, often without thinking because they become some sub- subconscious. And when we mix those up, so you know, it's more than the game of Sudoku, although I think that that is important. But when we approach life with new ideas and new ways of how to address and solve our problems, this is what stimulates those, those neurons. So, uh, so this is only one of the new discoveries that is, is helping us to think differently about ourselves. Landon, you know, the, the bottom line for me, everything we're going to do in this conversation is the better we know ourselves, the better equipped we are to embrace whatever life brings to our doorstep. And I know this, it looks like it's going to be a big year, 2020. I don't know what's going to come to our collective doorsteps uh, or our individual doorsteps. But what I do know. We may not be able to change the world out there, but we definitely, we definitely have the ability to determine how we interpret, how we experience the significance that we give to those outer events in here. And as we know ourselves better, as we embrace the deep truths of our existence, then the stress levels inside of our bodies and our, our need to hinge our sense of well-being on the external world begins to dissipate, we begin to take power and control over our own destiny, our own biological destiny. And, and for me, this is where our mastery begins. So I'm going to add to this throughout the conversation. That was a long answer to a short question, but, uh, but that was the discovery that, that we're constantly generating a continuous supply of neurons throughout our lives
0: well and and what you did to greg so well was set the stage for what we're going to be talking about and one thing that you brought up that i'd really like to talk about too is the new scientific story because you know not only our environment but our story tells us how to live you know and and science basically writes the story we live by you know it tells us how the world works and from there we determine how how we live and also the limits that we set ourselves of wellness and of accomplishment in the world. And what we're still dealing with is a scientific story that is 300 plus years old, that is basically described um, a a batch of separate and well-contained and well-behaved objects operating according to fixed laws in time and space, including us. And we're now realizing that that story is really out of date. And of course, we have to always understand with science, you know, science is just a story, and new chapters rewrite the old chapters that have come before. And the new chapters that are coming to the fore are describing us much more as dynamic, energetic, and interconnected entities. And so, of course, we know that we are all connected on the quantum level via a quantum energy field, but we also are discovering some really radical things about our ability to access information and the idea that we are information systems, energetic information systems, and not a collection of electricity and and chemistry. We've, we know from some amazing work that was done, you know, not yesterday, but 40 years ago, 40, 50 years ago, that um, the belief is that memory does not exist inside the brain and a lot of higher cognitive function is not in the brain, but accessed out there in the field and where our brain is more like an antenna receiver. Now, what's really interesting, about some of these discoveries about the energy in our bodies is the understanding that essentially our thoughts are another kind of energy and our thoughts are trespassers. You know, they're not locked inside our skulls, but they traverse out there and they can affect other people and things. And that's certainly something that I've been looking at a lot um, because Essentially, what this describes us as, and this brings in what Greg's been talking about too, is you know we are mutable entities. You know we are not fixed um, entities at birth. You know genes do not just determine; um, uh, they're not our ultimate blueprint. They're only a potential. They're like a keys of a piano waiting to be played. But as Greg says, what plays that piano? Is all those things in our environment, you know, the food we eat, the, the water we drink, the friends we have, you know, the sum total of how we live our lives, that determines everything from the development of neurons to essentially our ability to heal. And I think that's one of the things that fascinates me most because you know, I come at this work as a hard-nosed investigative reporter. That was my background. You know, when I was in my 20s, I put I was trying to put baby selling lawyers in jail. You know, I wanted to put the bad guys in jail. So I'm very fact based. And I essentially wandered into this subject matter 20 years ago, essentially by accident. But I've always tried to apply science and fact to my understanding. And what has blown my mind mostly is the work I've done with group intention that where I've discovered you know I've pu- I put people in groups of eight or so have them do a healing intention to a member of the group with a health challenge and I've seen thousands of instances now thousands of instances where people who have intractable incurable illnesses are healed in those 10 minutes healed in those 10 minutes most recent extraordinary example Occurred at a uh, a conference. Greg and I spoke at TCCHE this past summer. Woman in the audience, Maya. She's in a wheelchair. She is paralyzed from her neck down. She has some idiopathic, you know, unknowable paralysis. Um, And you know, there was room in the aisle for her to be. She's there, and her group does her little group intention. And after I had the audience do this in groups, I asked. For some stories. And the group raised their hands. Maya's whole group raised their hands and said, Please talk to Maya. She starts telling her story and she stands up. She stands up and she turns around. She talks to everybody. Now, there was not a dry eye in that audience. There wasn't a dry eye in her group. I was flabbergasted. I was crying. I could not believe it. But I've seen this so many times. And what this suggests is something extraordinary. This blows apart everything we think about how we're made and the limits of our human design. If we can send a thought to someone else and make them better in 10 minutes, overcome paralysis and so much more, which I've seen in in my work, then we are far more than we've been told. Our human potential is just a glimmer of what it could be.
1: Oh, Lynn, I, uh, I, I, I remember when that happened when we were in London. And, uh, and we've seen it happen in other programs, we've seen it happen in your programs and my programs, Joe Dispenza's programs. You know, and, and every time we have this conversation, I, I think back to the very, very famous statement that Einstein made. He said, the field is the sole governing force of the particle. And what he was saying is that what happens in the world we can't see around us. Uh, is the template or the blueprint for the physical expression of that world with, within our bodies. So when we begin addressing our physical well-being uh, and the, the physical parameters of our body, our biology, not by focusing on the biology itself, but on the energetic patterns and the thoughts, feelings, emotions, and beliefs uh, are certainly a, a big part of that. Uh, we see amazing things like that happen. We We had an event here in New Mexico. I live in the high deserts of Northern New Mexico, and we we do uh, an annual five-day retreat here. And um, uh, we were going through a process that I'll I'll describe in just a minute. And in the process, there was a woman who uh, was also in a wheelchair and had been in chronic pain for the last 20 years of her life. And during the process, she, she had to pee, she had to urinate. <laughs> so she got up and she left the room so she could go to the bathroom. And when she came back, she stopped, and I saw this, she stopped in the door and she had this look on her face like she didn't even think about the fact that she had just gotten up and walked to the bathroom to urinate without a wheelchair, without any assistance. And then she looked, she said, I don't hurt, I don't hurt. And she was saying this out loud, I don't hurt. and and. You know, we see these things happen all the time. I was very blessed um, to know Candace Pert before she mm-hmm. passed. She was a, a fellow author with our Hay House Publishing, and I actually had dinner with her in uh, 2013 in Toronto, just b- before she passed. And she's perhaps best known, I, I know you know this, um, and many of our, our viewers probably do as well, as a Harvard-trained medical MD that, that directly linked human emotion with chemical components in the body called neuropeptides. And her book was called Molecules of Emotion. And what Candace Pert did was she gave a pathway for science to to validate and then explore what we all have sensed intuitively. And that is simply that for every emotion we have in our lives and every belief, every thought uh, about our experiences, we create a chemical, it's called a neuropeptide that chemical wants to metabolize. And typically if, if it's a joyous experience or if we're not locked in trauma, the chemical moves through our body and we excrete it through breath, perspiration, urine, all the ways that we excrete. When we experience unresolved hurt, pain, loss, trauma, uh, and, and we are not able to, to deal with those experiences in a healthy way, our body, will typically store those neuropeptides. And this is where it gets really interesting. It'll store those neuropeptides in tissue or glands or organs that we associate with the trauma until we have the ability to come back and resolve the trauma uh, and allow that chemical to move freely. So so what Candace Pert said so beautifully, and, and you don't have to go through a big emotional process. It's when we lubricate those neuropeptides, they can metabolize. And there are a number of ways to do that. Uh, What we were doing, the woman I just mentioned, we were actually doing breath work. And when we flood the body with oxygen, those high levels of oxygen will lubricate those neuropeptides and allow them to move uh, through the body and and to metabolize. Really, really interesting process. But what it tells us, it's a very, very different way of thinking. and uh, and we acknowledge this in our events. We have medical doctors that come, uh, cardiologists, and we have neurosurgeons and pediatricians that come and they say, why aren't we taught about this when we're in school so that we can add this to our toolbox because these people really, most of them genuinely want to help and to serve and they are only using the limited tools that they're taught. So for those that are open-minded enough, the new discoveries, the new science are opening the doors to show us that we are just what you said. We are malleable. We are dynamic uh, biological entities. We're not these fixed, uh, you know, it's, it's like you come from the factory, from the birth factory, with a, a fixed set of codes that you're stuck with for the rest of your life. Those are the codes that get you going. And we have the ability to, to change those codes through the choices we make in terms of uh, all the things we're talking about, our external environment. But what we're finding is really key is the inner environment that links to the field. And that's why the power of eight is so powerful. And Lynn, I want you to know, everywhere in the world I go, people talk about your book. I was just in Bucharest, I was just in Warsaw. Uh, We spent a lot of time in Mexico, South America, and everybody says, you know Lynn McTaggart? And I say, Yes, I do know Lynn McTaggart. She's a friend of mine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's yeah,
1: so really sweet. Yeah. So, the, the, the story you know, there's an American author, his name is Scott Turo. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says something so beautifully that I, I often begin my programs with. He says, Who are we? But the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves and believe. And this is the key it's not just what we say, what do we truly believe? And our stories. Are the product. We're the product of our our family stories, our community stories, our society stories, our culture stories. What religion tells us, what science tells us, universities, classrooms, textbooks, and our own experience. And what's happening is the science is opening the door to validate the experiences that intuitively we have always sensed that we're so much more than we've been led to believe. Uh, and this is where my work has really focused over know, the last 15 or 20 years um, because it even goes beyond self-healing, Lynn, and this is important to me. It goes to social healing because mm-hmm. we treat one another. We solve our problems. We choose our, our relationships and our friendships. We treat one another when we choose to take a life, when we choose to save a life, how we share vital resources of food and energy and water and medicine and communications. It's all Based, it all comes down to the way we've been taught to think about ourselves. We've been taught for 300 years, and especially the last 150 years since Darwin's time, that we're the product of a random process that just happened to occur—random mutations in biology. And when our young people think of themselves as the result of this random process, uh, it's easy to remove themselves from the sanctity and the preciousness of life. And when they begin to see That the science that tells them that the way the DNA is arranged in their body and the fusions that have occurred and that that cannot happen, that are natural processes to give them the ability to, to speak and to sing the songs that we all love to hear and to communicate. When they see that this is not the process of some random event, they begin to think of themselves differently. And I think this is where the healing in our society begins as well. So what we're talking about this new human story it's a story of healing yes on a personal biological level and it goes even beyond that to the healing of the hurt and the hate that we find in our society today
0: Absolutely you know and this whole idea of a collection of ideas of who we are is something that really speaks to me and speaks to my husband Brian who I know you know um well. We've had many wonderful dinners together. Um, we actually do some work on time, and I do this in my master class. I, ha- I run a year-long Power of Eight Intention master class where I teach a lot, and then I, I over, I think, about six weeks of live webinars. Then we put people into groups, and we monitor them. We give them advice, guidance, and there's there's catch-up calls later. And we wa- we watch what happens to them over the year and help them achieve what they want. Um, one of the things that I work on, though, is time. And I want to just address something, because you were talking about, and it, it brought it to mind for me. Um, you know, we have this idea of ourselves, and that idea is built over time. As my husband, Brian, says, and from his Book, the Untrue Story of You, uh, a, a fellow Hay House author. Um, we are time, is basically what he says. We are an agglutination of undigested processes and ideas and experiences that we haven't fully understood. And that becomes the you that you present to the world. So one of the things that we're doing, uh, and Brian's process of unraveling this, is actually being studied by a batch of psychiatrists. We get doctors coming to our events too, and they ha- have approached him to say, hey, we need to study this. We need to put this in practice. So what I tend to do in my master class is a lot of people can't manifest the life they want because of some undigested experience, some thinking about themselves that is fallacious, that affects all of those processes you're talking about. And so I do a little bit of intentional time travel with them. We go back to events that have formulated this sense of limitation. We don't change what happened, but we change that person's response to it through a bunch of intentional techniques that I teach in the master class, And we found amazing things happen again. You know, once you can change that thinking, you can change your biology immediately. And that's the extraordinary thing of it. We've seen, I saw a woman who was affected by an infection in her teens. She's in her twenties by the time I met her. And it had caused terrible vitiligo, you know, where her body re- depigments. And after she did this process, her she actually said, "I can see my body is starting to repigment." It was that dramatic, that amazing. But a lot of it is psychological healing too, where people decided because some teacher told them they were stupid in math when they were six, that has formulated every thought they have about their ability to keep their finances straight, to have enough abundance, or oftentimes it's parental abuse of some sort, verbal abuse of some sort, where the person feels they're just not good enough, not loved enough. And I gotta tell you, the stories are horrifying that we hear in our retreats, in our workshops. We'll oftentimes talk about 15 adverse childhood events Um, for everything from being screamed at to being raped by your parent. And we have people in the audience raising their hand for every single one. And it's horrific, but we see amazing healing that can happen right away with going back and changing the thinking, changing the intention around it. It can be that simple. It doesn't have to be years of, you know, drawn out talking therapy or psychological drugs, it can be some healed in an instant. And that is extraordinary for me. And one of the big elements of it, I think, Greg, that you also touched on that I think is so important is the group idea, the power of community. You know, I've studied in, in two of my books, the latest one and the power of eight and the bond, I looked at the importance of community. Because, as you say, the Darwinian story is a story of isolation. It's a story of scarcity. There just ain't enough out there. And so you damn well better get there first. And the science doesn't support that at all. And I know you've delved into that a lot. Um, but I find that the science around the importance of community in terms of health, you know, community is um, when people have a group, a supportive group around them of any sort, it's healing and protective against everything from heart disease to the common cold. You know, when you look at some evidence about heart disease, fully half the people who get heart attacks don't have high cholesterol. They're just lonely. Mm-hmm. They just don't have a supportive group around them. And I think, to be honest, that is a big factor in the power of A the power of community, the power of getting off of yourself. That seems to be the, where the miracle get, uh, takes place. Hey, I also wanted to let you know about a brand new foundation course that I'm offering called Intention Essentials. It's a five week webinar that's live and interactive And in this course, I offer intensive teaching on all the fundamentals of intention and the power of eight, like the right mind state to be in, the right words to use, how to be specific about letting the universe know about what you want, how to stop sabotaging yourself, all the fundamentals of how to conduct a power of eight group, and much more. This past year, my participants in my workshops have overcome depression and many other chronic illnesses, had amazing financial windfalls, found dream homes and dream jobs, and much more. And unlike most courses, this is highly experiential learning, live and interactive. So to find out more or book your place, go to lynnmctaggart.com and follow the Intention Essentials link.
1: Oh yeah. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. And this is where the, the science, the new peer-reviewed science, these aren't like Greg's theories or, you know, we get emails, Greg's hypothesis. It, it's not my <laughs> hypothesis. This is peer-reviewed science. It is showing us it's overturned 150 years of scientific thinking when it comes to us. And and we've mentioned some of these principles. One of the keys is that we now know that the fundamental rule of nature is based upon cooperation and what's called mutual aid. It's not the competition and the conflict that Darwin identified. When I I was writing uh, my earlier books, I wrote a book called The Divine Matrix uh, back in 2007. And and we talked about this and I had to research, I had to actually find copies of Darwin's original manuscript. And Darwin originally said that nature is based upon a law of survival of the strongest. Those were his words later interpreted as survival of the fittest. But he believed in survival of the strongest, and that's important because it gives us insight into the other principles that he's asking us to to embrace. Well, now we know that nature is based upon this, this fundamental principle of cooperation. We see conflict, certainly, so we're not denying that, but it tells us that the more conflict that we see in the world around us, that tells us how far we've strayed from the deepest truth of our relationship to the natural world. And when you talk about community, I think this is a beautiful example. And the power of eight is a specific application of community uh, and cooperation. In community, we are cooperating to achieve the health and the well-being of an individual in, in that community. We com- we create a community of eight people, or we com- uh, create a community of 1,000 people in a room uh, in groups of eight, how, however it works. It, it is all about community. I, 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 and thank you for you know, the pioneering work that you've done in that land. And again, that's what people talk about uh, all Mm -hmm. over the world. But I want to go back to the the idea of of the healing, the kind of healing you're talking about, you know, one of the great discoveries, uh, I believe that we will look back in the 21st century, and we'll say one, one of the great discoveries was the discovery that was made about the human heart. In 1991, it was not published until 1994. And it was the discovery of Neurons in the heart, about 40,000 specialized cells called sensory neurites in the human heart. They are brain like cells, but they're not in the cranial brain. But they think independently of the cranial brain. They feel, they sense, they remember independently of the cranial brain. And, and this is important when it comes to our healing because if, if we're having joyous experiences, it's no problem. Rarely, ra- I will say, I have never spoken with a therapist who told me that her clients come and say they are overwhelmed with so much joy that they're, they're asking, you know, they're saying, can you help me dial back my joy? You know, we don't, we don't hear that. But the unresolved hurt from betrayal and loss and trauma uh, that creates those neuropeptides that we just spoke about. And they are not metabolizing from the body because of the significance we are giving to the experience. And that significance, If we only think and try to solve our problems and heal through the mind, this is where often we fall short. And here's the reason. Because the brain is a polarity organ, left brain, right brain. And in that polarity organ, we will always find a good and a bad, light and a dark, right and a wrong, success, failure, worthy, not worthy. And our ego will run loops around the rightness or the wrongness of what someone has done to us. And when you're stuck in that loop, it's very difficult to transcend. You can't change what happened, but you're changing the way you think about what happened. And this is where the heart comes in. Because the neurons in the heart, they have their own memory. They have memories of the same experiences that are rarely addressed in the heart. Typically, we try to address them through the mind only, through talk therapy. It can be effective, and often people feel, although it has been effective, it's incomplete. Something is missing, and what's missing is the heart component because the heart is not a polarity organ, so when we learn to access our trauma, not from our brain, but from our heart, we make a huge step forward that allows us to objectively look and experience what's happened without that polarity, without the worthy or the not worthy or the right and the wrong and the good and the bad. And that is what opens the door to releasing those neuropeptides, to releasing the trauma and to helping us to think uh, and feel about our experience in, in a healthy way. And I, you know, I don't talk about this a lot unless it comes up uh, and it, it makes sense now. I'm, I'm a living example of what we're talking about. And Lynn, I know you know this about me. I come from a very dysfunctional alcoholic family, abusive alcoholic family. My father was the abuser for my mom, my younger brother, and and myself. Uh, I'm a a survivor of childhood trauma. Uh, And I had to figure this stuff out early in my life because it it was preventing me from living my life. Mm -hmm. I had to come to terms of what had happened to me. And find a way not just to survive, but to thrive, to transcend, to become more than those experiences. Because we're only defined by our past if we choose to be defined by our past. And when we choose to transcend our past, we are given the ability to do it through our heart. And this is what so many of the ancient and the indigenous traditions always said to begin in the heart. Science has been locked into the brain for so long. Mm -hmm. And with these discoveries now, of the neurons in the heart that think, feel, and remember independently of the brain. It opens the door to uh, a a new and and very empowering way. Uh, My most recent book that I released in the States, it was called Human by Design. And in that book, I I talk about many things we're talking about here, that uh, we are not the product of random mutations. I talk about these neurons in the heart. And how we're the only form of life that can consciously access these neurons, Lynn, in a way that allows us to to transcend the darkest experiences of our lives on demand. We're the only form of life that can consciously choose to transcend our past. Other forms of life may, may do it to some degree by instinct, but we're the only form of life that can say, in this moment, I choose to become more than the experiences of my past, and then have the techniques to follow through to do that. That's the new human story. That's why I'm so excited about it.
0: And by the way, people um, looking for this book, uh, it also has another name. Do you wanna just tell them about it?
1: Okay, so I'll tell you, here's the story. I wrote a book, isn't that a beautiful cover? (laughs) I wrote a book called Human by Design, uh, published it in uh, 2018, uh, in hardback, my publisher Hey House published it in hardback. When they released it in paperback in 2019, they wanted to emphasize more the self-help aspect rather than the science and the research aspect. And the book was retitled "The Science of Self-Empowerment." Exactly the same book. It doesn't say that on the cover. Uh, and I've talked to them about that because I want to honor my audience. I want my audience to know: don't buy two books if you already have one. You don't need to buy the other one. It's exactly the same cover. Here's where it's confusing. It's only the English versions that are now called uh, the science of self-empowerment. So throughout Europe, all the, the foreign editions are still called human by design. It's a little confusing. Um, I'm apologizing for that. And I just wanted our, our viewers to know the story. Um, this is what happened with that book. So, so well, thank and you
0: I wanted them too. to know, too, that, you know, that if they see science of self-empowerment, that that's that's you, too, Greg.
1: So, so, I'm, so, so these are exactly the same book. <laughs> same book, different titles.
0: Beautiful covers, though. Thank you. Beautiful Thank covers. You, you know, um, you also talked about this thing about the heart is so interesting to me because it explains to me something that's going on that's been really amazing with my big intention experiments and with the small power bait groups. Um One thing people describe all the time, and I survey people who are part of my intention uh, experiments, for people who don't know, uh, since 2007, I wanted to see how far we can take intention. You know, I mean, there was a lot of people talking about intention, manifestation, and you know, the journal in me was saying, yeah, well, how far could we take this? Are we talking about just shifting a quantum particle? Are we talking about curing cancer with our thoughts? So I set up a series of experiments working with a number of scientists uh, and different scientists in consciousness research around the world. And we've run 33 of them to date, everything from trying to make seeds grow faster to purifying water to lowering violence in war-torn or violent areas to healing someone of post-traumatic stress disorder. And of those 33, 29 have shown measurable, positive, mostly significant effects. But here was the kicker of the whole thing. When I started surveying people back in 2008, basically to say for participants in the intention experiments, how was that for you? I got back these extraordinary stories of people saying, I was sobbing uncontrollably during it. I felt like I was part of a higher network. Um, I had goosebumps up and down my arms. you know all that kind of physical stuff i felt like i was out of my body they had weird hallucinations they felt bizarrely connected like they could feel and feeling lots of energy and do remember with all of these experiments in the main people are participating by coming onto my website or a youtube station or another web tv station via their own computer or smartphone you know, they're on their own, yet they're feeling this sense of extraordinary change. And they also reported huge changes in their lives afterward. Not one or two, but thousands said, after the peace experiments, my life is far more peaceful in every regard. You know, I'm, I've made up with my estranged relative. I'm getting along better with my coworkers and my not so nice boss. Um, I'm in love with everyone I come in contact with that was the biggest message all the time people were hugging strangers and i'm thinking to myself what on earth is this and the same thing happened with the power of eight groups people reported these extraordinary changes so that the people doing sending intention to somebody in the group also were getting instant healings also were feeling these extraordinary senses of energy and being out of their body they were ex- having a mystical experience You know, there's five elements to a mystical experience identified by people like the psychologist Abraham Maslow. You know, one is that extraordinary feeling of some physical big change like energy. Uh, Another is a feeling of connection, feeling out of your body, um, having a blinding epiphany of meaning. Suddenly everything makes sense in the world and also a sense of rejuvenation where things change in your life. You make a big, big change you are prompted to do so. And my people had every single one of these things. Anyway, as I'd started noticing this with the power of eight groups that people were constantly experiencing this and healing by just the virtue of sending intention in a group, we did a brainwave studies on power of eight participants and we found and this really ties into what you're saying Greg that The cognitive parts of the brain were dialed way down. The frontal lobes, particularly the right frontal lobes involved with worry, doubt, negativity, they were dialed way down. So were the parts of the brain that make us feel separate. The parietal lobes that sit in the back of the head and others that distinguish between me and not me, they were dialed way down too. So these were people who were not operating out of their head. These were people who were operating completely out of their heart. They were sending from their heart and the heart had the intelligence to heal. And that's what we continually see with the groups. And so the group effect, as you say, we were, we were always meant to be connected. We were always meant to be part of a greater whole. Um, and people, when they experienced that, Particularly with a group of strangers with a Power of Eight group or a group or an audience doing this, it's so mind-boggling that it kind of reprograms them essentially. They learn to operate in a different way, and also the getting off of themselves, the working with other people and maybe sending intention to someone else, the altruism involved is also coming from the heart and extraordinarily healing.
1: Absolutely, Len, and and, you know this is—I'm so excited about. So you and I—we didn't uh, rehearse this, and I'm—I'm not surprised at the synchronicity because that's the way we work. But um, what you're talking about is—is such a beautiful example. This is where our mastery begins. We're the only form of life that we know of today that that has the ability to intervene consciously with intent. Uh, in the way our biology is, is functioning. And what I talk about in, in the book, uh, Human by Design, uh, the science, very clearly, the, the new DNA science, we now, we now can extract the DNA from the bone marrow fossilized remains of the beings that we used to believe were our ancestors. And we can compare that DNA to us today to find out how related we really are. And another mind blower is that we're not. The the ancestors that we were told we descended from, uh, Neanderthal, for example, we now know that we didn't descend from Neanderthal. While we may have some Neanderthal DNA from interbreeding, we shared the earth with them. We didn't descend from them. And what the DNA is showing is that what are called anatomically modern humans, us, we appeared on earth about 200,000 years ago, and scientists are in total agreement with that. We appeared on earth about 200,000 years ago, but here's the kicker. Number one, we haven't changed since we appeared. The DNA from then and from now, if you compare their bodies to ours, you can't really tell us apart. Same body proportions, same cranial capacity, uh, same neural network, the same genetic expression. Where this is a problem for biologists is because typically in biology, there is a, a principle that says, nature never over-endows a species beyond the needs of its everyday existence. This was Alfred E. Wallace, the colleague of, uh, of Darwin. So what that means is that when a life form shows up, it develops specific attributes slowly, gradually over a long period of time, as the need arises in the environment. And where humans... Are an exception to that, is the term over endowed. We are a tremendously over endowed species. I know that means a lot of things to a lot of people. It's a great way to start the new year <laughs> by being over endowed. No, we are, are over endowed with so many capacities, extraordinary capacities, by years beyond what would be needed for this simplicity of everyday lives. Already, gradually over a long period of time. I know my internet connection's a little slow here. I apologize. Am I coming through okay right now?
0: Yeah, you are.
1: So, so what this means is that we literally are wired. We we have been from the moment we appeared on this earth mysteriously. However, that happened, uh, I'm just saying it didn't happen the way that we have been led to believe. So, however that happened, we have been wired to thrive in the life challenges that we find, whether it's an environmental challenge of you know trying to run from a saber-toothed tiger, or the stress of a modern environment, uh, or devastating relationships, devastating losses, uh, you know, uh, health diagnoses from professionals that are, are, are very dark if we buy into what it is they're telling us. All of these things cause stress in the body and, and what these DNA studies are telling us. Is that we have had the capacity, not just to survive, but to transcend, to become more than the conditions that life shows us from the moment that we appeared on earth. But the key is we must participate in that process. We must activate and and consciously uh, awaken these extraordinary potentials, such as the ability uh, to harmonize, to find coherence between the heart and the brain. So two separate organs, both of them have these neurons. We are the only form of life that can consciously harmonize two organs into a single potent system uh, in, our, in our body. And the Institute of Heart Math has uh, done a tremendous service in refining the techniques. I show them in the books. We use them in our workshops. I know you use some of the, the, um, uh, those techniques as well, so I won't go into them here. But, but the ability to harmonize the heart and the brain in a conscious way, is, is one of the keys to transcend the hurt from a failed relationship or the hurt from, from a deep loss, and it also is a way to harmonize the systems of the body that are out of harmony creating disease. It begins with this heart-brain harmony. So we're the only form of life that can do this consciously, at will, on demand, and this goes right back to what we began with, the superhuman nature, the, the mastery that is available for everyone if we're willing to take our existence off of autopilot and, uh, and then begin to explore, embrace the, the deep truth and the deep potentials of our existence. Uh, I think this is, this is really where the new frontier, the next new frontier in, in healing is. And it's, it's about our ability to awaken these healing systems. The, the body is healing more often than not, until we get in the way and prevent that healing. I remember when I was, I'll just say this. I remember when I was young, I was told from the moment I was born that I would begin to die. And I know a lot of us hear that. They say, from the moment you're you're born, you begin dying. And and I know the intent, it means the cells are dying off, and, and I get that. But it's more accurate to say, from the moment you're born, actually before you're born, while you are still in your mother's womb, you begin to heal. Because that healing and the repair mechanism is enacted while we're in our mother's womb and right now every organ in the human body has now been documented with the ability three things to stop the damage that has occurred to repair the damage that has already happened and to regenerate and rejuvenate those tissues even the organs we were told could not pancreatic tissue spinal cord tissue brain tissue heart tissue the key is they must be given the correct environment some of that environment can be external, certainly nutrition, you know, good air, good water, but a lot of that environment is in the field. It's the inner environment of thought, feeling, emotion, belief, and how we are communicating with the template that Einstein talked about—that energetic template—that uh, is the, the the foundation for everything that we see in our bodies. And that's I think where our work, your work, and my work, and so many others really come together in, in a beautiful way.
0: Absolutely, Greg. And, I, you know, for me, what I've tried to find the single key that might be the biggest key of all to try to understand how people can heal in an instant, um, particularly in a small group, particularly in a power of eight group, because I've seen it not only in people who have met once for 10 minutes, you know, I've had people who were scheduled for surgery at a woman who had terrible, she couldn't stand on her knee. And after the 10 minutes, she did a deep squat and mm-hmm. she could cancel, she canceled her surgery. Her knee was healed, 10 minutes. But I also see it in people who meet week after week after week in our master class. Um, and I see not only their bodies heal, but their lives heal. You know, they end up creating exciting new jobs or getting, getting offers of new jobs, getting windfalls just when they needed it, um, repairing relationships or finding new relationships. It's extraordinary what happens. And again, I've tried to, to isolate what the big important element of it is. And it seems to me that the one big piece of this is a sense of oneness. You know, if we talk about, the idea that people are, you know, are having a mystical experience when they're doing a group intention. And it's very different from meditation, by the way. We looked at that with, we compared brainwave signatures of meditation to these power of eight groups, and it was different. And so I think what's different is the altruistic component yeah. that makes people feel a sense of oneness. Again, they're intending oftentimes for someone else. And I so often will say to people who are stuck, just get off of yourself, you know, start intending for someone else, see what happens. And that started out just as something I just thought, well, I don't know what else to say to this person. Why don't you do that? But, you know, Lisa, for instance, is a woman who was a bodywork practitioner, was just really dying to write a book about. a a method she had discovered and developed to heal trauma in patients through body work, but she was getting nowhere. She'd gone through three editors, didn't know how to write a book, certainly didn't know how to market it. And so she was on and on and on with her group. And finally, I just said to her, Lisa, get off yourself, start intending for someone else in the group. And she did for a woman, Diane, who had a lot of financial worries and bigger challenges. And that very next week. Lisa has this overwhelming urge to go into a store she's never been in before, and she doesn't need anything there, but she goes in there and she meets somebody she recognizes she met a distant time ago. Turns out the woman is a, is a former publisher and a book coach, and when she hears Lisa's story, she offers to walk her through the whole process. Upshot of the whole thing is Lisa's book becomes an Amazon bestseller. So that story has happened over and over and over again. And as I say, Greg, what I think is the big piece here you get into an altruistic state, it's totally a heart state. There's no overt um, advantage for you. You're doing, if you're really altruistic, you're doing this purely and simply to open your heart to give to someone else. And that seems to be one key element to just turning off that brain, turning on that heart, turning on that ability to feel like you're part of a bigger whole. And that's what people say all the time. This is my intention family. This is like a closer family to me, this power of Eight group than my own family. And I think it's about that big opening of the heart. I, I, you talk.
1: Know, I, I couldn't agree more, Landon, I think you know, in in the language of their time, our most ancient and cherished spiritual traditions tried to tell us that in the words uh, that they knew. And because science has been so, so separate from those traditions and has discounted those traditions, it's only now that science is coming full circle. Uh, and I, I think there's a beautiful symmetry to what's happening here because it's it's only now when the world is so polarized and people feel so separate from one another that the deepest truths of our most ancient and cherished spiritual traditions are being borne out in the laboratory and bring us full circle to find the inner technology, the inner truth that helps us transcend what we're creating in the world around us. And what you say about the heart, it was, I just have to share, I know we're, we're coming to the close of the program, but I just have to share a funny story. Because uh, I've had the same experience in, in a different way. When we put these programs together, you never know who's going to show up at an event. And um, a few years ago, I was doing an event in in Texas, and there were people that signed up, people that canceled, and they postponed and they rearranged. And when all was said and done, I ended up with a room full of Texas men only, no <laughs> women in the event. And a lot of the men had come because their wives signed them up. Their wives wanted them to come. So I walked and they were wearing big cowboy hats. You know, I've worn boots since I was a year old. So I, I, I'm very comfortable with a room full of cowboy boots but in and, and cowboy hats. And, and they were really good men that had had hard lives. And I remember uh, there was a man that, and they, they had their arms crossed like this, like, you know, I dare you to teach me something, you know. <laughs> And, uh, and one of the first exercises we did was, uh, I, we asked them to embrace one another and and a guy said to me, cause I'll hug a man in here, but I'm never going to hug a man outside the room. And so we started the heart process. And I remember a man said to me very, very clearly, he says, I'm going to do this now because my wife wants me to, he said, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to do any of this when I leave the room. And I said, that's fine. Just do it once. Because once you find this place, it's very difficult to go back to what you have known and what you've been before. And it is, it's hard to explain in words, but it's like a little switch. Once we shift our awareness from our thinking mind into our feeling heart, and we begin solving our problems uh, and thinking of ourselves and our loved ones from here through the feeling ability rather than simply through the, the mental aspects that we've all been conditioned in, It's very, very difficult to go back to the way, I'm not saying you cannot, but it's actually hard to to go back because it opens the door to a new way of existing. And I think this is, the. I'm always looking for the one thing as well. And what is the one thing that I think will help people in their everyday lives? And what I'm finding, it is that shift to what the Institute of HeartMath calls heart intelligence. It's the ability to shift our awareness from our thinking mind when we need to. Now, there are some things that we need to use our mind for, but from our thinking mind into our feeling heart and begin to think about our lives and our friendships, our relationships and solve our problems from this point right here. And when we do, that opens the door to our deepest levels of mastery. And that's where I think uh, we're going to go with all of this.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I always say, you know, you don't need a sweat lodge. You don't need years of discipline practice or falling prostrate on your knees, you know, you need a group and a common intention, an altruistic intention. And that's a fast track to the miraculous. This is Lynn McTaggart, helping you to live the new science. Keep listening, and I'll continue to give you information and tips each time about how to incorporate this new information into your life.